We continue today in this short book of Jude, next to the last book of the Bible. And uh, Bulletin says we're going from 14 to 16. I'm just going to do 14 and 15 today. So just slow down. Be patient. You want to get through the book, you just got to keep coming back. All right, so Jude 1, beginning in verse 14. Again, Jude is speaking of these evildoers, these false teachers that have come into the church secretly, and uh, they're not good. And, 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 And he says this in verse 14. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Uh, This is the inspired, the inerrant, the infallible word of the living God. This is what we should be paying close attention to when we hear it. So let's pray for God's blessing. We thank you for your word, Lord, that it has been God-breathed. And now, Lord, we pray for the help, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We pray that through this word, you will speak to us, each one of us, personally, and revive us. And Lord, if there's someone here today who needs to put their faith in Jesus Christ, to be converted uh, to Christ, we pray that you might bring that about by your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think about all the false teachers, all the wicked people just in general that are in the world, we think of the great harm that, that they are doing to the church and, and to others uh, by their deeds, their heresies. Uh, Their ungodliness often appears to go unchecked. They seem to get away with their evil deeds. And they continue on. Well, and then they begin to mock and ridicule those who believe the Bible, those who believe in Jesus. Um, And they become bold in their sin. And they divide churches, of course. They lead God's people astray. They even blaspheme the name of the Lord. They dishonor Him by their lies and their lives. In short, they are ungodly. This is the the descriptive word that Jude favors, and particularly in verse 15, he, he repeats it four times. He mentions ungodly sinners, ungodly deeds done in an ungodly way, and ungodly words which are spoken against the Lord. What are we to think uh, about the situation we find ourselves in? And I I think, by the way, I think that false teachers not only come into the church physically, they come in through the ideas that are out there in the world. And 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 these kinds of things are being forced on us uh, from right and left. And so in the opening verses of Psalm 73, the psalmist, I think, can identify with the situation we find ourselves in. just want to read a few verses from Psalm 73, beginning in verse 2. He writes, But as for me, my, my feet had almost stumbled. 
my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. And they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. And they say, how does God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? And he concludes in verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. You ever felt that way? That the ungodly just go right on, they prosper, they succeed, they get away with their their wickedness, and they keep spouting proud words against the Most High. Well, the ungodly, of course, are at ease in their sin, or at least they seem to be. Uh, But the Lord, the Lord will hold them accountable. The Lord sees. The Lord knows. He does not forget. And he will one day give them what their deeds deserve. Their doom is absolutely certain because, as Jude says, behold, the Lord comes. The Lord is coming. He's going to deal with the wicked. And so he says he comes to execute judgment upon the ungodly. This is what God does. You see, God is a judge. He's a just judge. And Deuteronomy 32, verse 35 God is speaking, and he says, Vengeance is mine, and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things, come, things to come hasten upon them. That's the text that Jonathan Edwards used to preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Their, 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 their foot shall slip in due time. God will take vengeance, uh, and they will not get away. Uh, with their evil. The Bible says God is a just judge and he's angry with the wicked every day. Now, thinking about his anger and and judgment, you and I uh, deserve that judgment. And so we can be very thankful that God has been patient with us. We thank God for his being long-suffering. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I thank God for the patience, the great patience He has shown with me. As a sinful human being who did not want anything to do with God, wanted only to live for myself, and then even the many sins that I've committed since becoming a Christian, God has been patient with me. I should have perished, but he was not willing for me to perish. And he could have taken me into judgment, into eternal fires of hell, but he chose to have mercy on me. Numbers 14, 18 has these two attributes of God, his patience and his mercy, as well as his justice and his um, judgment. And it says, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy. Forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third 
and fourth generation. So you see the, the mercy of God and the severity of God, the grace of God and the judgment of God, only one verse. And so what's, what are we to make of that? Well, those who turn to God and ask for his mercy, who, who pray for his help, will find it. They'll be forgiven of their sins. But those who continue in their sin and rebellion will be punished. And God, will, God must punish our sin. So as we consider verses 14 and 15 of the book of Jude this morning, uh, Jude is referring to the second coming of Christ. He's reminding us that Christ is coming back to judge the world. He's coming to execute judgment on the ungodly. Now, thus far in this epistle, just a little recap uh, in, the, in the book of Jude, we have been encouraged, first of all, to contend earnestly for the faith, uh, once and for all delivered to the saints. We've been warned to be on guard against false teachers, how they secretly uh, creep into the church. And we've learned some of the characteristics of these evil men so that we might uh, be able to spot them. Uh, and to have discernment about these things, unless we become weary in the face of evil, the advance of evil in our day, Jude brings this great trump card of the faith. The great trump card of the Christian faith is that Jesus is coming back. And Jesus is going to make all things right. He's going to judge the wicked, and he's going to take us to be forever with him who believe, uh, us who believe in Christ. Well, the way Jude brings up the second coming of Christ in this passage is rather unusual. Uh, he could have quoted from the words of Christ or one of the uh, apostles, uh, but he goes way back to a, an obscure prophecy from Enoch. Uh, Enoch is a man mentioned in Genesis 5. He's one of, it says, seventh from Adam. So uh, you have to go way back. Uh, he was the father of Methuselah who was the oldest man in the Bible. He was most notably known uh, from Genesis 5, 24, uh, as one who walked with God. It says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch didn't die. God, uh, he, he was walking with the Lord on earth, and next thing you know, he walked right into heaven. And uh, he was an unusual man, and, and, and a godly man. And uh, it's uncertain uh, what source Jude uses here for this prophecy because it's not written in the scriptures. Uh, there is a similar prophecy in an apocryphal book. Um, apocryphal doesn't necessarily mean bad. It, uh, uh, apocryphal books could be his, written about history, but they weren't inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit. Um, but some scholars believe it's unlikely that he's quoting from the book of First Enoch. Perhaps he's using a lost source. Calvin believed that it was an unwritten oral tradition that was simply passed on uh, through the ages. Regardless, the Holy Spirit uh, inspired this to be written in Jude, and so we take it as the word of God. It's authoritative. It's trustworthy. So what does the prophecy say? Verse 14 says, Enoch prophesied about those very men, uh, that Jude uh, has been writing about in this epistle, and men, of course, like them, men who existed, lived before that time, and in our day as well. And, and, he, and he prophesied about them, and, and he says, first of all, he says, Behold, the Lord comes. Behold, that means pay attention, look, and see, consider this. 
How many of you considered the Lord's second coming, his return, this past week? Did you think about the return of Jesus Christ and what it might mean if he, if he came back uh, on any given day that you uh, thought about it? Well, <clears throat> who is this Lord? Um, it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has been appointed to judge the living and the dead at the end of time. And John Gill comments, he says, By the Lord is meant the Lord Jesus Christ, who, uh, has, who is ordained the judge of the quick and the dead, uh, for which he is richly qualified, being omniscient and omnipotent and faithful and righteous, who will certainly come again to judge the world in righteousness. It could be uh, none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, he puts it in the present tense. The Lord comes, not the Lord is coming or the Lord will come, but the Lord comes. As if it was already a done deal. This is the certainty we have in the Word of God. And notice that there are those that come with Jesus. Uh, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, or as some translations put it, with ten thousands of his holy ones. These are probably both departed saints who have died and gone uh, to heaven, their souls being with the Lord, as well as the holy angels. And so when Christ comes back, he descends from heaven. You remember it says in, in Acts that this Jesus who ascended into heaven will come just like he left. He will return bodily and he will return this time in great power and glory with ten thousands of his holy ones. It says in 2 Thessalonians, he will descend from heaven with his angels in flaming fire. Flaming fire. And the bodies, at that time also, the bodies of departed saints will be raised from the grave. And we who are alive will meet Christ with them in the air as he comes down. And so this is a glorious, triumphant day as we accompany Christ at his coming, at his descent, uh, to judge the world. Indeed, it says that we will take part in judging the world and judging even angels, the fallen angels. Verse 15 says uh, that the purpose of his coming uh, is specifically to execute judgment on all. On all. And the root, we, the root meaning of judgment, the word judgment, is separate. To separate. And Matthew 25 talks about that separation. Uh, if you go towards the end of the chapter and, and read, he talks about the sheep and the goats, uh, that the sheep will be separated from the goats. Sheep on his right, the goats on his left. The goats will be cast into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And the sheep will inherit the kingdom, prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Uh, but Jude's focus here is on the judgment the, uh, of the ungodly. The Bible does say that all of us we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what Jude says, to execute judgment on all. Uh, but for believers, the judgment of condemnation has already passed. And so uh, on judgment day, those who know the Lord Jesus will be openly acknowledged and will be acquitted and then received into their heavenly home. Now, the ungodly will be judged, will be condemned forever to be punished, as we heard in the eternal uh, lake of fire. So, who are these ungodly ones? Um, well, the Greek word, again, is interesting. Asibia. It means without 
fear or reverence of God. And one of the old commentators named Trench says that this idea, uh, the idea of ungodliness, it's not a passive thing. It's a very active thing. Uh, active opposition to faith and, and, and godliness is involved in this word. It's a deliberate, a deliberate withholding of the things that, that are due to God from all uh, those he has made, such as reverence, respect, uh, prayer, and, and service, and worship. It is, it, it is the ungodly person is standing against God as if he or she would be at war with God. And the Bible indeed says we are at enmity with God by nature. These are the ungodly. Uh, and these the, ungod, the sins of the ungodly that Jude is speaking of are, are, in essence, they are those who sin in a particularly aggravated way. Uh, uh, and, and they deserve God's wrath. Uh, and there's a sense, yes, in which all sinners are ungodly. When Christ died for you, guess what you were? Christ died for the ungodly. You and I were ungodly. Um, uh, so all sinners are ungodly by nature, but some, like these false teachers mentioned in Jude, they have spoken harshly and viciously against God. Probably you were not cursing God and railing against God and attacking his people before you got saved. You might have been one of those people. Uh, but, but, but these people who speak so viciously and, and awfully against God, um, uh, yes, we all deserve hell, but these deserve even greater punishment. The Bible says there's going to be degrees of punishment even in hell. Because these people uh, are acting in direct defiance of God, and they're guilty of blasphemy. And they, and they curse God and they blaspheme him without shame. Now, who are the ungodly? Thomas Manton has written a very lengthy commentary on the book of Jude. And he says that they are all atheists and pagans, sinners who slight the offers of Christ, who neglect communion with God. Now, they are touched with no reverence, or dread of his majesty, these, all these are ungodly persons, and also those who scoff at religion and holiness of conversation, who despise the ordinances of God, oppress and persecute his servants, and hate his truths. These, in particular, are the ungodly, I believe, that Jude is referring to. And, and today, they are those who, who support gay marriage, who who support and encourage transgender normalization uh, and abortion and, and, uh, and Marxist uh, atheist ideas that come uh, insidiously through organizations like Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, and on and on we could go. Um, uh, and so increasingly, I also see that uh, that these uh, these people today are are coming out as Satan worshippers. They're trying to mock Christianity. I don't know that they really believe in Satan, but they're using Satan and, and saying they worship the devil because they don't want to worship God. And they prey on our children. Yes, they they like Satan. Uh, he comes to steal and kill and destroy, and and so they they want to kill. They they love abortion. And they, if they can't kill a child in the womb, then they will mutilate them if they can. Uh, this is evil. This is wicked. Uh, and these people deserve 
what is coming to them. And of course, there is room for repentance even for them. We need to pray for their salvation. But that's not Jude's focus in this passage. So the ungodly, they are those who curse God, and they also curse and persecute Christians. They say foul things about you and me and about the church. Thomas Brooks said they are notable in casting dirt, scorn, and reproach upon the person, person's names and credits of Christ's faithful ambassadors. And the ungodly also often, again, the false teachers especially, take the scriptures and they twist them to say what the scriptures do not say, and they use the scriptures to support and to justify uh, their sinful ways. Just give you a, a couple of examples. Uh, one is a, 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 an individual named Matthew Vines. He calls himself a gay Christian. And he's written a book titled uh, God and the Gay Christian. Uh, and Vines states, quote, Lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people have inestimable dignity and worth. So how could the suffering they endure when they're not affirmed by their families and churches, how could that express God's intentions toward his creation? In other words, God couldn't punish them. God couldn't uh, rebuke them or, or tell them they're wrong. They must be affirmed. Um, well, how do we respond to Vines? Rosaria Butterfield as a former college professor and, and a former lesbian who has repented of her sins and been converted to Christ. She's married to a pastor now. And she writes uh, just this past week about and warns about his uh, Matthew Vines and others' theology. But she says, The tremendous and weighty matter of sinning against a holy God is of no consideration to Vines. What matters to him is that we must affirm all sin to avoid hurting feelings. You see, that's the greatest sin today. If someone's feelings get hurt, right? Um, God is not a, God is willing to hurt your feelings and to hurt my feelings. Um, and, and, and so the truth, it does hurt, but it heals if we're willing to respond to it. And, and so what matters is we've got to affirm these hurt feelings. And hellfire is a small matter uh, to someone like Vines. Uh, the hurt feelings take so what do we what do we think of gay Christians? What should we think? Another individual wrote just this very week in pointing out that to to use the phrase, for example, gay Christian is blasphemy itself. It is blasphemy. He says to associate Christ's holy name with enduring sin and to make that sin central to one's identity, experience, and personhood. Uh, if we approve. Of gay Christians, then we have to approve of murdering Christians, uh, you know, uh, of, of thieving Christians. You know, it's like I, I'm saying I'm associating sin with the name of Christ. And that is blasphemy uh, to do. Um, now, the association of anything sinful with the Lord's name is, is blasphemy. It's ungodly. And the ungodly, of course, as Jude goes on to say, will be convicted. Now, they will be convicted on the day of Christ's return. And, and so ungodly deeds have been done in an ungodly way. Ungodly words have been spoken in a harsh way against the Lord. And these things will be brought up as evidence. You see, when Christ comes, he sets up court. He's the judge. And all must stand before that court. And, and there will be conviction. There will be a trial and a sentence will be pronounced. It will be open in public 
And once that sentence is pronounced, since it is the highest court of all, there is no appeal. It's final. And they will be also convicted in their own consciences. And they will know when they hear the sentence that they deserved the punishment that's coming to them. Romans 3.19 says every mouth will be stopped and all the world will become guilty before God. Everyone knows deep down. They won't admit it right now, but when Christ comes, they'll have to. Uh, Thomas Matton again writes that wicked men are already in great measure convinced, yea, and condemned in their own consciences. It is then God's design to shame them before all the world. They will be shamed on the day of judgment. And believers will be vindicated for their faith in Christ, their godliness, their good deeds, not because they are godly in and of themselves. God will be glorified by their vindication because it is God's grace that's produced their godliness. It's God's grace that has produced their good deeds. I heard Stephen praying you know, from Ephesians uh, 2, 8 and 9, you know, that, that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's not of yourself so that no one can boast. And of course, verse 10 goes on to say that God has, uh, he has saved us and predestined even the good works for us to do. And that will all be seen and known that it was all of grace on that day. But those who are condemned to eternal hell, will they will say one thing. Their mouth will be shot, but they will have to confess one thing. And that is, as Philippians says, they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now those who know him by faith will, will uh, heartily confess him as Lord with great joy. And yet all those foolish virgins, all those goats on the left, all those ungodly will say in the last day, they too will confess them. Even uh, the demons and the devil himself will be obligated to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he alone deserves praise, glory, dominion, power, and authority. Well, as we think about these verses, uh, I want to give just five brief things to take away for ourselves. And, and the first thing is, in light of what we've learned, um, is that we should rejoice. We should rejoice uh, that the ungodly, the wicked, the enemies of God will receive what's coming to them. Now again, I stress that, that we need to pray for our enemies. We need to pray for their salvation. But in the end, if they do not repent then we can rejoice that they are being judged, that God will give them what they deserve. For many long years, many centuries now, uh, the wicked have been allowed, God has allowed them to curse Him uh, and to, to wreak havoc in the church. He's allowed these things for many reasons, I'm, I'm sure. But one day, when, when Christ returns, it's all going to be uh, put to an end. Because they will have to answer to Christ for their ungodly deeds and words. Their foot will slide in due time. Their calamity is at hand. So God's vengeance will surely come. Let that encourage you. Let that inspire you to continue to serve Christ. You're on the winning side. Uh, you're on the side that's going to triumph over evil. Uh, even if we don't see it today, one day we will see it. Secondly, we should rejoice 
that the Lord has had mercy on us, that he's turned our hearts away from our own native ungodliness. We too were born in sin. We deserve the same judgment that's coming on the ungodly. And we have, if we're saved, we're only saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, who, who died in our place, who rose again, and who loved us from the foundation of the world. And we ought to give thanks. We ought to give thanks by through our lips and, and with our lives, living in the fear and reverence of the Lord. First Peter 1.17 says, If you call him Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. The, the ungodly do not fear the Lord. You and I need certainly to, to live here in the fear of the Lord. Third, since Christ is coming back to judge the ungodly, then make sure that you know Him savingly, that you have put your faith in Him. Have you trusted in Christ and His redeeming grace? Have you received Him into your own heart and soul and said, Lord, save my soul, take over my life, be my Lord. I am lost, I am undone, unless you save me. Have you called on the Lord to save you? You need to do that. You need to make sure that you're saved by His grace. Thomas Watson said, Those who will not hear the trumpet of the gospel sound saying, Repent and believe, will hear the trumpet of the archangel sounding, Arise and be judged. Repent and believe. Oh, those are harsh words. I have to repent of sin. But you can be saved. If you will repent of your sin and turn to Christ. The, the worst words will be, Depart from me. I never knew you. Fourth, if you know the Lord, then, then seek each day to live a godly life. Be a contrast to the ungodliness around you. Don't let the ungodliness in this world bring you down to their level. Live a life of contrast. And then last, fifth, meditate often on the return of Christ and the day of judgment. You and I may not have thought much about the second coming last week. We should think about it this week and every day following that. You know, the day approaches. It's nearer every day. We got to think more of the second coming of Christ each day that comes because it's that much closer. These meditating on these things will make us serious in our walk with the Lord. Uh, and, and, and so... Let's be serious. Let's be like Enoch. Enoch walked with God. He certainly didn't walk in the way of the ungodly. Read Psalm 1. Make that your meditation even today. Um, it's a great passage in dealing with these, the contrast between the righteous and, and, and the ungodly. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow Jesus. So that when He comes, you won't blink an eye. You'll say, hallelujah, He's finally here. Can't wait for him to be here. And now he's here. I've been thinking about it every day, looking forward to it every day, and now he is here. Remember the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Jesus said, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. But we do know this. Behold, the Lord comes. The Lord comes. Let's pray. Father,